This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Matthews Archery, elevating the archery experience. I've been shooting the Phase 4 33 this fall, and that thing has been shooting lights out for me. And so much, I got my first out-of-state buck with the phase four and i got to go to kansas this year drew a tag and got it done on opening day with a beautiful giant velvet a point with my good friend cody butler and we got it done with the phase four and i can't say enough good things about this bow i love the deadly accuracy of the bow the deadly quietness of the bow and the dead vibration in your hand when you shoot this thing so if you're interested in learning more about the phase four 33 as well as the other bows in Matthew's lineup and accessories, head to matthewsinc.com. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Yamaha Outdoors and their proven lineup of ATVs, side-by-sides, and off-road vehicles. The Hunt Stand team has got the Wolverine RMAX 4 1000 XTR at our side this fall, and we are going to be putting this thing to significant use from the Deerwoods all the way up to the Elk Mountains. If you're interested in learning more about Yamaha, head to yamahamotorsports.com slash side-by-side so you can check out that Wolverine RMAX 4100. The podcast is also brought to you by 10 Point Crossbows, the leader in crossbow technology for over 25 years. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Moose Utility Division, your brand for all seasons. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Savage Firearms. Better comes standard. man well josh brother welcome back to the hunt stand podcast yeah thanks for having me again yeah man absolutely i love getting you on here because i always learn something when i get you on here and you know we're we're starting to get closer to that magical time of the year and uh you know specifically i want to give people some rut hunting tactics tips strategies gonna have a whole field note friday series on this but i want to specifically talk to you today about all day sits. You know, I know you've written about it, you've done some videos on it. 
And I wanted to pick your brain on certain things you do, why you do them, how you do them, things to get through the whole day. So let's just get into the nitty gritty, man. I mean, tell people about them. You know, like where, where do we start? Yeah. So all, all day sits are fun. Uh, if you like self torture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. No, all day sits are kind of rough. I mean, let's just be honest, especially if you're in a, in like a, an uncomfortable tree stand or if the conditions are really tough. I mean, it does take some mental effort. I mean, this first world problems we're talking about here. I mean, you think about the great men who fought in world war two, sleeping in trenches for months on end, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can, you could compare it to any number of things, but so, so it's really not that bad in the grand scheme of things, but we modern day soft deer hunters, uh, tend to gripe when we have to do an all day sit. So we do, um, yeah, so I, I don't do a lot of them because I guess I'm soft, <laughs> but but I do I do do all day sits during the rut. Each you just I, sleep I, I in tree stands. I do all day sits during. Do what? You just sleep in tree stands. I tell you, yeah. So I'm willing to sleep in a tree stand, <laughs> but I don't like doing all day sits. Yeah, yeah. And if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, they did not listen to one of your podcasts. Which they can. So shame on them. They can listen to that one. That was we just recapped your Kentucky Buck Kill. So anybody interested, you can go back yeah. and listen to that. Yeah. But yeah, let's let's uh let's kind of get started with them. I mean, why why do an all day sit? Yeah, so I I generally save all day sits save that entirely just for the rut. Um that's not always true. If I'm in a situation where I don't have a really good access outside of the rut, like say if I have good morning access but I don't have good afternoon access for some reason, then then I I would potentially consider going in and doing a an all day sit outside of the rut. Again, if that access is not good for afternoon sits. But I generally save that tactic for the rut because that's when it's best. But and, and most uh, you know, probably uh, most att- attuned for because you know that's when you start seeing some all day movement in in whitetails. Yeah. Um so definitely a viable tactic and a lot of big deer hunters uh, have, and I'm not talking about myself here. I'm just talking about deer hunters in general. A lot of big buck deer hunters have shot a vast majority or at least good percentage of their deer in that 10 to two time frame. Yeah. I was, I always hear about that magical 10 to two time, kind of like, I guess you'd call it the midday madness. I mean, why does everybody kind of refer to that time zone, if you will? Yeah. So I think it can be, it's almost cliche at this point, the 10 to two, but, um, that said, if you're in the right locations, that 10 to two can be really good. If you're not set up in the right spots, the right types of spots, it's going to be just as dead as it is during the early season, late season. Um, so like, if you're going to do those all day sets, I tend to try to make sure that either if, if, if I'm doing an all day set, I'll do one of two things. I will hunt the morning sit in, a, in, in one spot and immediately move somewhere for the afternoon sit. That's not technically by definition an all day sit because you're moving locations, but um, it's still you're still putting in the same amount of tree yeah. stand time. Um, minus, you know, however long it takes you to get from point A to B. That said, if I'm going to be in the same exact stand location all day long without moving, I tend to try to find specific locations that are more uh, conducive or more more appropriate for seeing that midday mature buck movement. Now, 
I want I want to give a lot of people a good case here to sit in the stand all day because I kind of did what you're talking about last year where I sat in one location in the morning, knew an area that Bucks typically hung out in from that 10 to 2 range during the rut for our place, major front blowing in, and I just started seeing deer blowing up. So I went and got in another stand, and I killed him at 11-something. So how many times have you kind of found that success during these all-day sets? Yeah, I'll just look, thinking back to last year, um, numerous times could I have shot some of my, the good bucks that I had on camera here in Kentucky. Uh, cause I hunted Kentucky through the rut. So I, numerous times I could have shot, you know, good, what I call good target bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly ended up passing the, uh, the deer that I shot into the, the season later, not in the season, but later into gun season. I, I don't remember the exact date. I think it was November 22nd, but I'm, I may be wrong on that. I'd have to go back and look, but I actually passed him two or three times earlier in the season um because i was holding out for one deer and then i got like you know on into gun season i was like all right it's time to give up on this deer because he i hadn't seen him in like three or four weeks yeah hadn't seen him since like mid-october um so i just i knew it wasn't coming together but if but if i hadn't been holding out for that deer i would have actually shot my the deer that i ended up shooting um earlier in gun season and right in the middle of the day um and he was bedded down with an estrus doe um yeah. and in a typical location where you would you know one of the types of locations that where you would expect to see uh a mature you know a a mature buck and a doe kind of hold up in man talk about the commitment to doing an all-day set because like you said it's it's tough they can be pretty brutal uh if you're in a uncomfortable situation but i mean like it that commitment can pay off yeah, so it's not usually my the back or the butt, my butt that gets me out of the stand and and ruins an all day sit. It's usually <laughs> my belly because I'm thinking about those biscuits and gravy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So the the biggest thing is yeah, the comforts one thing, but taming your belly that's the big thing. So if you can somehow figure that out, you know, take some foods with you. It's obviously maybe even take some biscuits and gravy in a in a soup container or something with you and keep it hot. That way you get to eat your biscuits and gravy. You're but such a southern. That's boy. really the big thing. Is working on the belly. If you can, if you can, if you can satisfy the belly, you're good for the rest of the day. What are uh, you know? I, I know that's a pretty big thing. Like I've seen guys like uh, you know I, I took a thing of chili in a thermos when I did mine last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen yeah. guys like Sam Soholt. Uh, he'll take a you know, like those smaller thermoses and he'll take a fresh gas station burrito and stick it in that to keep it warm throughout the day. Yeah. What's kind of your yeah. go, what's your go-to besides the biscuits and gravy, of course. Biscuit, more biscuits and gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you take biscuits and gravy to the freaking stand? I'll tell you what, here's, here's the thing. It's, you know those bit like like you know how sometimes you get those bowls and you can get them different places. I'm not gonna name drop restaurants, but like there's these bowls you can get and it's kind of like a, a mixture of of stuff. And you can get gravy and sausage and different things. And so yeah, so like one thing that at least it makes sense to me is you can if you have like a like a not a not a you know like a really narrow one, but like if you've got a, like a bigger wider thermos, yeah, you know just just tear up some biscuits in there, dump that gravy in there and just keep it warm. But no, jokes aside, I mean, the biggest thing when it comes to food, um, 
is to not take stuff that's loud. I mean, so I don't take foods that have really that crunchy wrappers. So like if I'm going to take peanut butter and crackers, you know, I get them out of the, 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 the bags and I put them out, out of their, you know, crinkly bags and put them in Ziploc bags. Um, you know, whatever it is, you know, sandwiches are great. Um, I try to take foods that don't have a lot of smell to them, or mm-hmm. at least if it is going to smell, it's not a smell that's necessarily going to spook deer. So, so if it's a, uh, maybe a food that, um, I'm trying to think of something like salami, like deer salami, I'm not taking deer salami to the deer stand. Cause that stuff, I mean, it, I, I don't care what anybody says. Deer salami stinks. That's some bad yeah, juju. Deer too, salami man. tastes. Deer salami tastes great. But anybody who says that deer salami tastes smells good, or just absolutely doesn't know what they're talking about. That's some bad juju too. I feel like they can smell their own. They're like, wait a minute, I've smelled yeah. that before. I know he ain't around anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Uncle Joe. <laughs> <laughs> So foods that don't smell, take, you know, if you're taking some Snickers and Twix up there, make sure you get them out of the wrappers. I mean, you just got to take some of those stuff that can get you by. Definitely don't take something up there that's going to give you the bubble guts. Uh, mm-hmm. What about, you know, I, the, yeah, don't, from, don't take, and then I'm not being racist or anything, but don't take Chinese food to the deer stand. <laughs> like Chinese food, if it does to you what it does to me, don't take it to the deer stand because it Mexican food, same way. Oh yeah. It just, uh, those two for some, whatever reason, just right through. Dude, so Thai food. don't take flatulent foods. Thai food, man. Yeah. Gets me every time. What about, uh, um, I don't eat Thai food, but I, I, I would probably do it to me too. Oh yeah. What about, uh, you know, I actually learned this the first time I went hunting with Dalkey in Nebraska a few years ago, coming from Texas. It's like, you don't take a piss near your stand. If you're in your hunting area, don't do it. It's the deer are gonna smell it, and they're not coming in the area. Like that's that's what I was growing <laughs> up. Growing up, that's what I was taught by uncle, by my yeah. dad. Like you just me too. It's like you don't do it. And so when yeah. I went to Nebraska, it was during the rut, and I was kind of asking Josh these same questions. Like, dude, what do I do if I need to take a piss? He's like, just piss right off the, the edge of the tree stand. I'm like, what? No. And he's like, dude, seriously, the deer don't know how to associate it. So. I guess to that, I answered my own question, but I mean, to that guy out there, I mean, is it really worth carrying a Gatorade bottle out there? Absolutely not. I have like permanent mock scrapes directly under my tree stand platforms at this point. <laughs> it's like ma- just massive community scrapes under every single stand. No kidding. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm not going to lie. When I when I did that, I made a, a mock scrape behind the ladder stand we were in that year. And I think it was like two o'clock mm-hmm. in the afternoon. You know, we took a thermos full of coffee, me and the camera guy. And I was like, dude, I've got to take a piss. And I'm like, I'm gonna go freshen up that mock scrape later that afternoon. Mm-hmm. Buck was on it. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding. It me, actually man. works. It does. It actually works. It does. If you're, if, 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 if again, I'm not going to name drop, but if you run out of your favorite deer pee, you can just go put your own and it'll work just fine. No joke. No joke. Now we're going to have people yeah. starting to bottle their own piss after this podcast. <laughs> going to be selling it. <laughs> pure, pure mature buck right here, buddy. Let's cut, let's cut that one off right there. Hard stop moving on. <laughs> so, okay. You know, we talk comfort. We talk food. We talk, don't worry about having to urinate. Uh, let's talk about having to, you're getting to that point where you, you're not seeing deer. So you want to, you're talking yourself out of the hunt. You're like, man, I ain't seen nothing. 
I ain't heard nothing, but I've seen a deer on camera here at 2.30 every day. He's a shooter. Obviously, that can help motivate you, but what are some things that you might do to either pass the time or help you fight the urge to leave? Yeah, it can be tough. Uh, of course, if you're if you're distracted, you, it's possible to miss deer. Um, like if you're hunting, if you're doing an all day set in a field setting, where you know, and you're, especially if you're rifle hunting, it's really easy to miss a deer that you otherwise could could shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're hunting in the timber and you're bow hunting and you really don't have a chance unless something's fifty yards and, and it's it's a loud leaf day, you know, it's not wet and you can hear them coming, you can kind of be distracted. You know, so so if it depends on the situation. Like if it's a situation where the ground's really wet or if I'm rifle hunting covering a lot of ground, I tend to try to keep myself entertained by looking for deer. But if you just can't handle it, obviously you can one thing that I'm doing, so I'm a big Lord of the Rings nut. I've loved the movies, but I've never read the book. So I'm actually going to be carrying uh, those with me this year to, to read whenever I feel like I'm in a situation where I can. But um, so reading books is great. You know, of course, everybody has their phones. But um, I, I think really, you know, it's it's really a hard thing. So I guess you just have to figure out individually what it is you like to do. Some people like to do crossword puzzles. Some people like to do word searches. Um, so just find something that you pass the time with that, that works for each individual. Um, the, my, my advice, I guess, for that is just to make sure that it's the conditions and the situations um, uh, allows you to use your ears a little bit more to detect yeah. if there's a, a deer nearby. Yeah, that, uh, that's a tough one because uh, I've got this. I don't even know what football game it is on my phone. Uh, I think there's been lots of footage of me playing it, but it's one of those you don't need service for. So I'll take like an extra mm-hmm. battery pack. I'll take that, a book. Uh, and that's it's tough because like I caught myself like every couple of sentences when I'd read or even like playing that game, I'm like looking up, like looking up, like trying to do all this because you don't want to miss. You do not want to miss whatsoever. But it's it's a good way to help mm-hmm. pass the time. But I think like for me the the thing that yeah. I the thing that I think about is like you know when you show me trail camera images of your deer like I've seen that that's the big thing for me. It's like man that dude could come cruising by at any moment. So it's like you just mm-hmm. you gotta be ready. Yeah, and it really did. So so the concept, but you know as I always understood it is so during the rut, you know when when a, when a deer come it comes in a doe comes into estrus, you know mm-hmm. she's in estrus from uh, twenty four. To, to 36 hours maybe a little longer sorry the dog is barking i think my wife is home but uh no worries it, it, that buck might spend even more time with her she might spend up to like he might spend you know a little bit before because she's gonna smell right for a little bit to him before she actually comes into estrus yeah. and then she you know and so and then she comes into estrus so that buck might spend up to two to three days with a particular doe, even if she isn't completely in estrus and receptive for that entire period. So your deer might disappear from cameras for three days. If he's been, if he is with one doe, then immediately picks up another one. He yeah. might be dis- disappeared from your camera for six or seven days. Um, so just because a deer is, hasn't hit cameras or you haven't seen him in person does not mean that deer isn't close. Prime example, and this wasn't a deer that I was going after. He was a deer three and a half year old last year that I was hoping that would get to four and a half this year. He ended up getting quite a bit bigger, really mm-hmm. nice buck. But I went in and hunted one day, and as soon as daybreak started, 
I saw him bedded with a dove 75 yards down below me in the CRP. Really? Watched him all day long. I sat daylight to dark. He did not move. She did not move. He defended off, defended off some other bucks, fought some other bucks off, kept them off of her, um, but she didn't move. I, I, I don't even think she was receptive yet. So I gets dark, I leave. Come back the next morning. Daylight breaks, same spot. God. Stays there all day again until dark. And so he had spent at least two full days, maybe longer with that doe right there. Um, and so it's just a testament to show that just because you're not seeing your bucks on camera, doesn't mean that they're not there. Cause whenever they hit that lockdown, which lockdown is kind of fluid. It's not like a period where you're just not going to see any deer. It's just that period where the bulk of the does are entering an estrus. And of course, does are kind of staggered when they hit. And so it just, it, that's kind of what we're looking at there it, it, for the rut. But the all day sit deal is whenever is for whenever that buck finally does leave a doe. If it happens to be morning, mid morning, oftentimes whenever he loses that doe or leaves that doe, he's getting up and he's going after something. He might be getting up and going to water. He might be getting up and going mm -hmm. to food. He might be getting up and looking for another doe, especially uh, if he hasn't had a, a, a doe for you know a few days. So it's those spots that you need to think about whenever you're trying to do your all day sits. And so all day sits for me that I really, really like are small secluded watering holes. Maybe it's uh, uh, just a, just, I don't like big water sources because it's hard to cover that with a, yeah. with a bow. You can cover big waters, bigger water sources with a gun, but um, water sources are great. Uh, leeward ridges are really good because if, if, if the downwind side of a ridge, like, so a lot of times when bucks lose their does and they're looking for another one, especially of a morning when those thermals are rising, they'll mm -hmm. hit those benches that are kind of up toward the top of the ridge. Um, so of an afternoon or morning, excuse me, I like uh, those leeward ridges up high. Of course, your thermals are falling in the afternoon. So in the afternoon, I like the leeward ridges, but I like to be down lower. That way, the scent that's coming down off the ridge and those bucks cruise across those benches. So yeah. like if it's, again, so it's one of those situations where you might have to shift. Because like, for example, I hunt in Ohio and we've got multiple benches as you go higher up in the hills. And so like, for example, a morning hunt, I like to be up on those higher benches because those bucks cruise those because they can smell everything from down below. And then at flip it afternoon, they like to be on the lower benches. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's, that, that's an example of somewhere that I would do an all day sit. Maybe it's, maybe I, you know, do one for morning and then immediately go to the other one for the afternoon. But, but anyway, uh, the, really the, the two biggest places that I like for all day sits, if you can get in there without spooking deer is between two different doe bedding areas, because these bucks know where those family doe groups bed at, because oh, yeah. you know how bucks, you know how these bucks are. They, 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 they bed, they have different bedding areas throughout the year based on their needs at the time. So like they'll, if it's late season, they'll take thermal cover and solar cover, you know, to, to, to get, to beat the, beat the cold early season. They'll take again at solar cover, North facing slope. That way they stay cool. Um, you know, just throughout, you know, it once, once gun season hits, you know, they're finding that security cover. So it, it bucks will change throughout the year, but those, and they, while they do the same thing, they tend to be more localized in where they actually bed at. And these bucks, they know where those places are and your, your doe family groups on the property. If you hunt a hundred acres, depending on your deer density, you might have two, three, four, however many doe groups that are mm -hmm. in that area. Um, and these bucks are just traveling from doe group bedding area oh, yeah. to bedding, bedding area. 
And if you can set up in a spot that's kind of inter- that's kind of an intersection between different doe groups, uh, bedding areas, whether it's two or three, if you're lucky, four, whatever, um, that's a junction where you're likely to see these mature bucks as they go from one bedding area, doe bedding area to the other. And then the other place that I really like is buck bedding areas. So these, if you're hunting an uber mature deer, don't forget about buck bedding because these really old deer, you know, and, and, and I'm being relative here. So like if you're in a Midwestern state where the oldest deer, like five and a half, six and a half plus, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. If you're hunting somewhere else where there's not as many of those, maybe three and a half or four and a half year old buck, but the oldest deer on the land, oldest, smartest deer on the landscape, they tend to get back to their beds of a morning. If they haven't found a doe, hmm. some bucks will only look for does at night. If you're in a really pressured area and those bucks are really old and really smart. So there's a couple of deer that I hunt in Ohio now um there's one's like eight and a half the other one's like nine and a half and i have not seen those bucks during the rut in like three or four years now sheesh so like they're they're rutting still but they're smart and they know how to do it without getting getting shot and so they're back to bed unfortunately for me they bed oh i think they bed over on neighboring properties and so i'm never in the game on those deer anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, really the only shot I've got is if they, if it's late season and I've got the food and, and, you know, they get up really, really early and come to food because of like bitter cold temperatures or uh, a fresh snow on the ground or something like that. That's the only time I see those deer in daylight anymore is late season, not the rut. Jeez. So, yeah, it, whereas I still see plenty of the three and a half and four and a half year old bucks in daylight during rut, you know, up running, doing the crazy thing. So uh, those those are the areas that I like leeward ridges um between doe bedding areas um and on if you only got like one if you're on a really small property one doe bedding area is fine just get on the downwind side of it because those bucks are cruising the downwind sides of those doe bedding areas when they check them um and of course the if you're if you have a property where the mature bucks like to bed don't forget about those spots during the rut because those big big deer they're going to be get back to the rut uh, getting back to bed um even during the rut are you concerned with getting too close to their bedding areas or, I mean, are you worried about bumping them? Like if access is kind of iffy in the mornings, you know, are you kind of, are you just, Hey, it's a rut. I'm going to go in, be as stealthy and quiet as you can be. It depends on the situation. So like if you've got bedding, if these deer are bedding really still bedding really close to food. So if there's only like, their beds where they're sleeping at is only like 150, 200 yards from the primary destination food source. They're probably getting back to bed too early for you to take advantage of it unless you get in super early. If these deer, uh, in in that instance, you're going to have to get into the bedding area early, early. Like I'm talking three, maybe four hours before daylight. Wow. If, uh, just to be really, really safe. To be really safe. Now, you might be able to get in two to three hours and still be fine. But to be really safe, I would say three to four if you're if you're hunting a property layout where the bedding area is like five six hundred yards maybe more from the primary destination food source that they're spending a lot of time on at night you can maybe get away with getting into that bedding area two hours hour and a half before daylight Mm -hmm. so it's really just kind of relative to the situation and depends on the situation as far as you know how how you can get in there as well as your access like if if you only have access from the southwestern corner and you got to walk through all the food to get to the bedding area, don't even try it because you're going to run the hunt for it starts. Yeah. So there's so many things that revolve around that as far as what what somebody does. The answer is to to say yes, it it'll for sure work on one property, 
and it doesn't mean that it will on another property. In some properties that I hunt, I don't even try all day sits. I don't even try to hunt really close to bedding areas, no matter the time of the year, simply because I can't get in there without spooking deer. Yeah. Now, the last part I want to talk to you about in this episode is calling, you know, your grunting strategies, rattling. You know, I've heard guys out there like, oh, I remember John Dudley did like a daily series um, a year or two ago that he talks about rattling and calling sequences every 30 minutes. You know, is that something you like to do? Have you found success with it? Or what is your stance on the calling this time during the rut for all day sits basically. Yeah. I have called in some deer. Um, I can't honestly though, I, I, unless it's just happened a long time ago and I can't remember, I don't know that I have ever actually legitimately blind called in a deer that I killed. Now I've blind called in a lot of deer, uh, deer that I passed, maybe deer that skirted past me just out of range that I mm-hmm. would have shot. But I don't think me actually blind calling has ever led to an actual deer on the wall or deer in the freezer. Um, so that said, I do. So I don't do a lot of blind calling simply because I don't have a lot of my setups, the properties that I hunt, they aren't the perfect layout. And so the only time that I will blind call is if I'm in a spot where I know for sure, without a doubt, a deer cannot get downwind of me. Yeah. Um, so, so I tend not to blind call unless I'm hunting maybe some public land somewhere, which again, this you, you can, if you're hunting big, massive areas of public land. So I'm kind of confined with the, the private properties that I have. I hunt four properties here at home. They range from a hundred acres to 250 acres. But, um, it, most of the time it's, it's difficult to blind call, especially bow hunting without yeah. deer getting downwind. So I tend to only call to deer that I see on those properties and if i know that they're not coming within range and if i think i could get a shot off before they get downwind of me um so so i don't call as much as maybe some people do not so much from the aspect of pressure Mm -hmm. that's not really it for me a lot of people say they don't like to call because or rattle because everybody else does it and there's too much you know you know deer call shot that's not it uh if you're doing it the wrong way i think that certainly can be a factor i guess but the main reason for me whenever I decide not to call isn't from a, a deer's hurt it standpoint. It's from a wind standpoint. What about those guys that are going to public land? Is it something you would do trying to do it blindly in public? Yeah. Especially if I am seeking out a stand location that allows me to do that. So like a lot of these public land properties that, that I hunt anyway, public land that i've hunted in kentucky and indiana and ohio Mm -hmm. there's a lot of water involved so there are either river systems that flood a lot or they're lake systems whatever it might be and if you've you know i don't just choose a stand location hey this is a great spot to to call and and grunt you know that's not why i choose a stand location but if it happens to be a a stand location that is really really uh, uh you know designed for that where maybe i'm hunting right on a riverbank edge or or Maybe I've got a really big steep bluff where it drops off pretty quick and I, you know, or whatever it is, but I call them downwind blockers. I mean, I'm sure there's a million different things you could call those, but if I'm, I'm hunting somewhere where I've got like a really steep bluff or a riverbank or something that keeps those deer from getting downwind of me and my scent's blowing in that direction and they just can't, 
um, then yeah, I think that's, that's when I do it on public land. It's also when I do it on private land. Um, there's one particular place, one stand location where I hunt in Ohio, on my Ohio property. And I, it's really the only spot that I will call blind call. Um, and it's a stand that's right close, not right on the bluff. Cause if I fall out of my stand, I don't want to fall 80 feet, yeah. but, but, but like the stand is like probably 15 yards, 20 yards from that bluff edge. And so there's no way from, for deer to get, you know, get downwind of me, unless I shoot them first with the yeah. right wind direction, wind direction, obviously. Um, but if I'm hunting that stand and the wind is blowing toward that blocker, then, then, then I will blind call for sure, because it does work. Yeah. It's just not worked for me as often as I would have liked it to, because deer almost always come in downwind, especially mature deer, like three and a half, four and a half plus year old deer, especially your five and a half plus year old deer. They always come in downwind. And so if they get, get your, get your stink before you get your, get your arrow downrange or bullet or whatever you're hunting with, it's game over. No, that's a, that's a good thing to think about. Uh, Cause I got, so, so my other addendum to that, sorry to interrupt no. is, so a way you can get around that is to add a decoy to the situation because oftentimes if you've got that decoy out there, then it draws their attention and they're not so much circling that your stand location. Cause they're very deer are incredibly adept at pinpointing exactly where a, the source of sound came from. So they know the tree that that sound, but if they see that decoy, that's maybe 30 yards, which I don't like to put it that far away, but, but maybe 15 or 20 yards away, they might, it may, might turn you into a just off wind situation where you've got a crosswind. And whereas that deer would have eventually circled you, if he'd not seen the decoy, he sees the decoy now. Okay. And now he's coming into that decoy and your wind's just off. So if you're blind calling a bunch, I would honestly add a decoy to it. You know, that's, that's something that we do a lot in uh, South Texas when I used to uh, work on, I think we had like 20,000 acres and we had a ton of senderos, ton of road systems and, you know, it's so thick, you can't just go tromping through it. You know, as warm as it is in November, you'll probably still find a rattlesnake. So, I mean, we would just get on the edge of the road and typically we'd have, we were always filming for TV and we'd have shooter and rattler camera guy behind and then we'd usually stick a decoy kind of catty cornered off of us so as soon as they stuck out of the road they're paying attention to that decoy instead of these odd looking objects right off the side of the road and nine out of ten times it works unless they just come barreling in like right on top of you yeah a decoy is great uh um um, so yeah, I would definitely, if you're doing a lot of blind calling, mm-hmm. if you can pack the decoy in, I would 100%. Now, I don't like to use decoys on public land just for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, if you're on private land, then, yeah, decoys are great. And I'm not saying you can't decoy on public land. There's a lot of people who use decoys on public land. But just, you know, from a safety element, that's what I, you know, that's that's my advice there. But, um, yeah, decoys are great, and it works during the rut. Um, I've got a couple of family members of mine who – especially one who just about every year when he's deer hunting during the rut, he's got a decoy with him and he's probably shot. I know he shot more deer over decoys than I have. Dang. But, um, he's, he's shot in the, he shot a bunch and they work. Um, from, I would say from the end of October through the, so like for, you know, your typical rut time frame. I would say from like maybe October 25th, to like November 10th, maybe even up to the 15th or even a little later perhaps. Uh, but, but especially that November 25th, excuse me, October 25th to November 5th, right before most of these bucks are finding estrus does, 
Um, they're, you know, full of rage and ready to fight. Mm -hmm. That's really the magical 10 day window for decoys. Heck yeah. Well, man, when it, when it comes to some other all day sit tips and tactics, uh, what other kind of advice you got for the listeners out there before we, uh, in today's episode? Yeah. Yeah. I think the one other big the, the, the piece of advice that I would throw out there, and it's something that I started thinking about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And, and it's not original to me. I know other hunters have thought of it before me. I'm not saying it's my invention cause it's not, but it's when I started paying attention to it myself, um, was what, what a lot of people call the three day rut rule. And so that is basically spending three consecutive days in your best rut stand in your, on your best rut farm. And you're going to see one of your targets. Um, you know, it's not a hundred percent obviously, but I have tried that during the rut, um, quite a bit over the past 10 to 12 years, maybe even 15, probably 15 years now. And that really does there is some credence to that there is some legitimacy there because again a deer might spend up to two days maybe even three days with a doe but eventually it's going to break loose and and it might not be the best option for killing a specific deer but it certainly is the best option for maybe targeting the top two three four five bucks that you've got on a property absolutely because eventually within those three days, one of your top targets are, are going to come through past. What, and you have to know your property really well to be able to do that efficiently and know exactly where that best stand is at. But if you know where that's at and you invest three consecutive all-day sits, daylight to dark, you're going to get an opportunity or, or get really close to it. Heck yeah, man. Well, dude, I think uh, I think the listener is definitely going to learn something off of this when it comes to those all day sits because you know this is a good one to listen to, especially heck if you're even up there and you got some AirPods and you got a little time to kill because it's that dead. Uh, yeah, yeah. If no, if nobody takes anything else away from this, start bottling your pee, not because you're afraid it's going to to spook the deer, but so that you can you start drawing the deer in. I'm going to have my own, uh, you just gave me some good ideas for some scent companies for myself. So business venture. Oh yeah. Go. It's uh, I'm already thinking of a trademark. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, but well, I brought it back up. I said hard stop and, and, and I broke my broke what I said there. So I apologize. <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate your time today. And, uh, I know this won't be the last one. So thanks again, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all, there you go. There's another end to another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. We just want to thank Mr. Honeycutt for hopping on and giving you all some tips and tactics to those all-day rut sits and just kind of a little bit of insight on what the man does to try and stay comfortable on some of those sits that you just want to get out of. But at the end of the day, you just got to grit through it, and eventually you will hopefully have that shooter buck come by. But again, y'all, I just want to thank you for tuning in another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. We really appreciate the support. Make sure you rate and review for us. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And if you haven't yet, make sure you got the Hunt Stand app downloaded, the free, pro. And if you want to unlock all the tools of Hunt Stand upgrade to Pro White Tail today, because that will be your greatest companion to have with you in the woods this fall. So again, y'all, thanks again for tuning in this week's episode, and we'll see you on the next one.